Today on The Journey. Our role as fathers is to not only model the behaviors that we want to see, but it needs to be a regular topic of conversation because ultimately we need to live lives that are set apart for the safety of our family, but also the witness for the gospel. The world is watching us. It's looking for a reason to believe or an excuse to disbelieve and disobey the Creator. In this half hour, Ron Moore and special guest Brian Fisher talk about that scrutiny as it impacts the world we live in and in which the unborn can be killed and cast aside. First, please note the comforting devotional we'd like to send you. It's titled Refuge, and in its 90 pages, you'll discover the path to God's sheltering presence. It's available on our website at ronmore.org. Your gift today will help further this ministry of developing followers of Jesus Christ. And before we begin, a brief programming note. On today's broadcast, you'll hear Online for Life, referenced by Ron and Brian Fisher. Brian and the resources he talks about are now available at Human Coalition, which is found at humancoalition.org. So when you hear Online for Life, think and visit Human Coalition. That's all one word, humancoalition.org. Now here's Ron to introduce his special guest for a discussion titled, What Difference Does It Make on the Journey? Talking with Brian Fisher, who heads up a tremendous ministry, and we're talking about his book, Abortion, The Ultimate Exploitation of Women. Brian, I think as believers, so many things happen in our life. You know, we try to find our significance in some other place, or we don't think we're worthy enough. We don't experience the forgiveness of God, and we just go back to, wait a second, we're significant because we're created in the image of God, in Christ. He sent his son to die for us, and we have now eternal life in Christ. We are secure. Nothing now can separate us from the love of God. We're accepted. We are in his family and will always be. We're forgiven and we're empowered. In the issue of life, that's critical to know who we are in Christ, whose we are in Christ. Well, and to a woman in an unplanned pregnancy, that is a critical message because the unbelievable thing about God is even when we do screw up, he uses it for his glory. Oftentimes when I'm speaking with other groups or with women who have been through this situation, I said, you know, I'm not justifying or excusing the behavior that got you into the situation of the unplanned pregnancy, but can we turn the tables here? Can we acknowledge that maybe the unplanned pregnancy, the baby, is not the mistake, but God's blessing in revealing his creation and his beauty through a mistake. I mean, we tend to look at an unplanned pregnancy as a universal negative. We equate the baby with the sin. And I'm not excusing the sin at all. Don't mishear me. I am saying that God uses unplanned pregnancies and beautiful babies to achieve his purposes. And oftentimes, even in the church, we look at a teenage girl who's got herself in an unplanned pregnancy situation, and there's an immediate rush to judgment. And again, without excusing the sin... The church now has a phenomenal opportunity to say, Mm -hmm. let's deal with the sin, but now we also have an image bearer of God himself who is in this womb, who now we have the opportunity to meet and watch grow and to help disciple. And that's just another way that God uses our Mm screw-ups to achieve his purposes. And that 
is unbelievable to meditate upon. And the times that that message has been shared and that women have shared to me have been incredibly redeeming. And it's just another way that I think God shows us who's in control. I've seen unplanned pregnancies bring young women and men to Christ, bring young men and women in a new flourishing relationship with their parents, Mm -hmm. bring families together. So God does have that sovereign way of working all things out for good to those who love him. So going to be a parent out there right now who found out recently that her daughter, his daughter, has an unplanned pregnancy, and there's shame and there's frustration and maybe even anger. Talk to that person and just remind them, yeah, there's emotions going on. Remind them of the Holy Spirit who can help them through those emotions, but remind them that God's going to use this for his glory. I have seen and heard countless times of women and men in my office or in my travels who have said, you know, I made a mistake. We had sex outside of marriage. I had an affair. Married couples who said we didn't want another child. We were overburdened with the finances of the ones that we already had. But, and there's always a but, Ron, Mm -hmm. this baby was the best thing that ever happened to us. I have heard that countless times. And even from parents who are often the ones coercing the young woman to abort, I'm telling you, when that baby gets to be six months old in the womb, nine months old in the womb, and they're seeing ultrasounds and the baby's sucking her thumb and there's 10 tiny fingers and 10 tiny toes, those parents, those grandparents, almost immediately turn from being angry and wanting the daughter to abort to being grandparents who are already loving that child. Mm -hmm. You just have to give the child a chance. And the child will do what children do, which is turn all of our hearts to butter. I mean, what baby hasn't turned our hearts to butter? It is another way of God reminding us of the innocence and the blessedness of children. And he said, of such is the kingdom of God, right? That faith, that purity, that innocence that only little babies and little toddlers have remind us of the purity of our Savior. And so hang in there. It's tempting to take what we think is the easy way out. Let's just take care of the problem. Let's just abort the child. That'll be easier on our finances. It'll be easier on our relationship. It's never those things. Give the child a shot, and that child will be the biggest blessing to you and to your family because God is doing what God does, which takes our screw-ups and turns it into something beautiful. Every time. Every time. Every time. Without fail. Talking with Brian Fisher, who leads a tremendous ministry called Online for Life. You can check it out at onlineforlife.org. Brian is a writer as well, a speaker. You may want to have him come to your church or invite him into your area. The book we're talking about today is Abortion, the Ultimate Exploitation of Women. Brian is not letting men off the hook with this book. It's a book that we recommend here from The Journey for you to buy and check out and share the book as well. Brian, you have a solemn chapter in your book about how abortion and the views of abortion have evolved since the 19th century. And you mentioned the role of feminist and media and doctors actually working together for one to prevent abortion. But then there was a time in our history when apathy set in. Mm -hmm. Talk about that tragic transition that took place in our culture. Abortion has been around since unplanned pregnancies have been around, so it's nothing new. And there was a time in American history where a group of journalists 
and pro-life feminists and physicians formed a loose coalition and for a period of years were so aggressive at protecting unborn life that they had numerous state laws passed protecting unborn life and the mothers from abortion. And it was a time where America as a culture valued the unborn. New York City has always been a hotbed of abortion. It remains the abortion capital of the country today. And much of this concern came from the fact that New York was being hit so hard by unplanned pregnancy and abortion. The apathy that set in set in very, very quickly, and it set the stage for the legalization of abortion in 1973. This is what happens when we as pro-life believers let our guard down and allow evolution, secular humanism, the devaluation of women to creep into our society. And in fact, what happened was as those parties that originally were so aggressive about ending abortion and stopping abortion passed away or moved on, those same groups began to become more liberal in their perspective. I mean, some newspapers, New York Times and others, that today we would not consider to be bastions of pro-life activity were the ones most vocal about protecting the unborn. And as you can see, over the last 100 years, that has completely flipped itself on its head. I think it's important to stress that this can be ended again. We tend to think of abortion now as something that's here to stay, because it's been around for over 40 years and we've been to a lot of marches and we've had a lot of Sanctity of Life Sundays and we've had a lot of conventions and there's been a lot of discussion and no small amount of frustration with the political involvement. But I have to say this, at Online for Life, we believe God is moving to end legalized abortion in America. We believe that it can be unthinkable in all realms of society. Why would I say that? There is a man who, to us, is an enormous mentor and a model for how things are possible that seem impossible, but who was human and used tremendously by God, and that man was William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce came on the scene in Britain after 500 years of slavery. 40 years of abortion is one thing, 500 years of slavery is entirely another. And William Wilberforce was converted, and shortly thereafter became just a one-man wrecking crew to the slavery industry. And Wilberforce, in the space of one lifetime, did the impossible through Christ. Slavery became unthinkable and then illegal in Britain. And I would argue that the distaste that most modern countries today have of slavery is because of William Wilberforce. Mm -hmm. He worked in the political realm, but he also worked very actively in the community realm. And so when folks say, well, you know, I think this is just kind of one of those things that we're going to have to live with, we say there is precedent to suggest that that is completely untrue. Wilberforce was optimistic. He was winsome. He was aggressive. He was candid, and he was very pointed. But he achieved something through Christ, which to us today gives us great encouragement. So although abortion had its time of being illegal, and during this period of time where there was this coalition, it was a great time in American history, that doesn't mean that we have to accept mm -hmm. that those times are gone. We can still work together, we can still work cooperatively, and we can get back to that point. There's been numerous points in history where the Holy Spirit has worked like that. We trusted that he's doing that again. You know, it's interesting, Wilberforce had two great calls on his life. One was to end slavery, and the other, I'm trying to think exactly how he said it, but I think it was called the manners of culture or something right. like that. And by that, he meant you can't just change 
an issue, but you have to build culture around to see how important that is. You know, you just don't fix one thing without looking at culture as a whole. Well, you talk about in the book, rightly so, we live in a culture of sex. We already talked about pornography. We know the aspect of advertisements, right? right? Mm -hmm. Always around some, I was going to say sexual innuendo. Usually it's not even that. It's in your face. Television shows, we live in a culture of sex. So talk to parents. They're raising this child. You can't drive down the highway without seeing something on a billboard. They're going to hear it in songs. There are going to be television programs they watch. Maybe the parent's not thinking about that show, but it's building into the kid that, yeah, it's okay to do those things. It's okay to venture into that area. And then the, the kid's growing up, right? He has the hormone thing going on anyway. Right. So Satan uses our whole person and culture around us to feed into his plans. So talk about how the culture of sex really promotes the sin of abortion. It is so pervasive. We take it for granted today. You know, the things that we see during football games, we just kind of acknowledge. I'm not even sure if it crosses our brains as something unnatural, whereas if we had seen it 15 years ago, it would have been shocking. The shows on television are just, we have eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds watching Things like Game of Thrones, which mm-hmm. are not only sexual but violently mm-hmm. sexual, degrading of life, when degrading you're of life, blowing and people women. away all the time. Yeah, yeah, and rape scenes and things that are in now in the mainstream, and there are books about it, and there's other miniseries based on it, and T-shirts. I have a 15-year-old son and an 11-year-old son, so I'm in the throes as a father, wanting to protect my children from these things. You know, Ron, there's a word that maybe we don't talk enough about, but it is this holiness, this set-apartness that Christ modeled and that we're to emulate through the work of his Spirit. There's a funny quote I heard, we give God credit for our salvation, but then all of a sudden we take over our sanctification as if God has nothing to do with our sanctification, right? right? And through the Holy Spirit's help, that sanctification is essential. One of the things that strikes me of the early church— was the radical nature of their lives and of their lifestyles. If you read ancient literature, they talk about Christians just loving each other and loving their enemies to the point where it was almost extreme and so unnatural. And church historians have argued that that's a main reason why the church grew so fast in ancient Rome was because the utter difference of how Christians were living their lives. And I would argue that the church today We tend to look too much like everybody else. There's not as much distinction. So if we allow our kids to watch the same stuff that everybody else is watching, and if we allow our kids to behave and act in ways that everybody else is acting, why would anybody be attracted to the church and to Christ? Mm -hmm. The more radically different that we live our lives, I would argue, causes offense, obviously, but it also is attractive because of the way that we love each Mm -hmm. other. So when it comes to pornography, my kids hear a lot more about it, I'm sure, than most because of the work that I do, and they are extremely literate about abortion and the links between pornography and abortion, and we have very candid conversations. I would argue that's step one. It has to be a topic of conversation in the home because they're going to deal with it. As much as I try to protect my 15-year-old, I cannot shield him from everything that's out there. I can't do it. So I need to educate him, and I need to arm him, and I need to empower him, and I need to warn him. And he's tired of hearing it from me, but I'm not tired of telling him. I'm going to keep Mm -hmm. telling him. (laughs) 
And we have candid conversations, and Jessica's a part of those conversations. And we talk about honoring women and valuing women and what does it mean to court and what does it mean to have sex before marriage and why is God's design for sex like You know, he, my boys grow up in an environment where they're looked at as nuts, and yet that's okay. So our role as fathers, to long answer to a short question, is to not only model first and foremost, the behaviors that we want to see, which means I don't want them seeing me looking at stuff I shouldn't be looking at. But two is it needs to be a regular topic of conversation with very strong boundaries and then covered in prayer, just covered in prayer. Because ultimately, the answer to your question is we need to live holy lives. We need to live lives that are set apart and radically different from the culture around us for the safety of our family, but also the witness for the gospel. What difference does Jesus Christ make in your life? That's the key question. And quite honestly, if I'm a neighbor of a person who says they're a believer, and all I see them doing differently than me is going to church on Sunday, I'll take that hour any day because my life is the same as theirs. As believers, we have to demonstrate to a watching world that Jesus Christ truly transforms our life. And that transforms our actions. And you're right. We're not going to think the same way as an unbeliever, do the same things. And we have the opportunity to really demonstrate that with all the actions of our life. That comes from materialism to what we watch on television to how we raise our kids to doing marriage and being committed to marriage. My brother just passed away, and he and his wife were married for 52 years. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what a legacy through inevitable challenges and great times. But over five decades, that demonstrates the Holy Spirit was at work in them to keep them together. And so now they have a legacy that there's something different about what Christ does. And it saves lives. That modeling saves lives. I think we underestimate the power of the family. We could talk at length about fatherhood and its role in the abortion holocaust because it is a primary factor in the state that we find ourselves in. But the best thing that a dad can do is model godly fatherhood. My kids see a marriage which is far from perfect, mainly because of me, far from perfect, but is playful and relaxed and Mm. fun, serious when it needs to be. They see us have what I call intense moments of fellowship. One (laughs) call them arguments, but some things are a little out of whack. (laughs) But they see us kiss and make up and pray together and study together and... That's really the best thing that I can do for my kids. And that's honestly the best shot I have for them honoring God through their sexuality and not getting themselves in an unplanned pregnancy situation. At the same time, my kids understand that living out the gospel requires holiness, and that holiness requires that we are students of the word and we're students of prayer, and that we understand that our sanctification is spirit-driven, and we need Christ for that process. Right. In your book, you mentioned the culture of sex and sin always has consequences. And so today, a number of couples living together jumped 17-fold from 1960 to 2010. 22% of men ages 15 to 44 have had 15 or more sex partners. The illegitimacy rate is now at 41%. We look at that even in the African-American community, it's higher, and that's an economic issue a poverty issue, and mainly for women. Sexually transmitted infections, estimated 20 million new sexually transmitted infections annually. You look at these things, and not many people want to point to the cause. 
But this is a direct cause to, as you say, the pursuit of sexual gratification with reckless abandon, Mm -hmm. the sexual culture that we live in. Well, and it stems from a lot of different things, but the 1960s were not kind to our country. There's no rule two ways about it. I think the increased secularization of American society is really driving the sexual promiscuity and therefore the abortion industry. When folks try to pin me down, they say, well, isn't this the way it's supposed to be going because it's good for women, abortion is good for women, and it's about equal rights. And my response typically is, if we've gotten to the point where we devalue an unborn life to being worthless and we devalue women to where we, in most cases, are coercing them to kill their own child, no, we're going the wrong direction. When we began to disinvite God from every other area of life except for Sunday morning, we ran into some areas that were highly destructive. You know, Psalm 24 one says, the earth is the Lord and all it contains the world and those who dwell in it. We tend to think in terms of secular and sacred. The reality is it's all sacred. It's Mm -hmm. all God's. And we as Christians tend to segment our faith and our relationship with Jesus from other things. So we don't look at art. We don't look at culture. We don't look at science. We don't look at education under the heading of Christ's lordship. We look at it in terms of United States government or politics or whatnot. Mm -hmm. It's just not accurate. Christ is Lord of all. He's not Lord of some. He's not Lord of Sundays. He's Lord of all seven days of the week. So as America became increasingly secularized, starting with the Enlightenment, but it really came to a head in the 1960s, that led the way through free love and the sexual culture for the opening of the doors of abortion, and men had the opportunity then to basically have carte blanche to explore their sexual pleasures however they wanted to, and it is deadly. So we would look at the 56 million dead American children, and for me, it gets back to the fact that We as Christians have allowed a secularization and a segmentation of American society Mm -hmm. that, quite frankly, our American forefathers would have found impossible to reconcile. And if we return to that, if we recognize that Christ is Lord of all, and that we begin to look at how he works through all phases of society and culture, we can, again, get back to a culture that honors all life, including the unborn. But that is the role of the church. And I know I keep coming back to the Mm -hmm. church, but this is why we need the church so much. We tend to think that the church's role is to lead people to Christ, kind of get the fire insurance piece taken care of, and then that's it. But the role of the Christian is comprehensive. And Christ's influence exists to every iota of the universe. And therefore, we should be about the redemption of all things in our society, including culture, including sexuality, including arts, including sciences. I think if we can reconnect those dots, we're going to see the Holy Spirit work in some amazing ways. But as it stands right now, God has been very merciful to us, Ron, because I don't know after 56 million children have been aborted and we're still here. Sometimes I wonder why why he's still being patient and merciful with us. I thank God that he's being merciful and patient with us. But we as the church have got to be about the business of protecting his creation because they're sacred. Again, the resources mentioned in today's discussion are currently found at humancoalition.org. And please stay with us for a preview of our next time together. Are you looking for a place to shelter from life's inevitable storms? Is your heart desperate for a calm harbor to rest? Would you like to find safety and peace of mind where neither seems possible? 
Well, the place where those are discovered is described in Ron Moore's encouraging devotional titled Refuge. Within its 90 pages, God's promises of comfort, protection, and healing will revive your spirit. Refuge is yours for a gift of any amount at ronmoore.org. Again, that web address is ronmoore.org. Or you may call 724-731-2018. That's 724-731-2018. Your gift today will help keep the journey on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now, let's rejoin Ron and Brian for a preview of our next broadcast. If you are a man, you have a phenomenal opportunity to reject this idea that abortion is a woman's issue. The more men that speak up, the faster we'll end this. We just have to have the courage to confront the lies. We hope you can join us for that discussion next time. And please remember that Ron's devotional booklet, Refuge, is yours for a donation of any amount. Whether dark clouds are gathering on the horizon or they're directly overhead, Refuge offers shelter from the storm. You can get it online at ronmore.org or you may call 724-731-2018. That's 724-731-2018. Also, we invite Pittsburgh area listeners to visit our church website at biblechapel.org. There you'll find information about our area campuses and their ministries. They're located in Robinson, Rostraver, South Hills, Washington, and Wilkinsburg. Again, that address is biblechapel.org. And if the journey has brightened your day and deepened your walk with Christ, won't you tell your friends and family about our program? Finally, please keep in mind that the journey relies on your generous donations to remain on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Your gift today will be deeply appreciated. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join Ron Moore and Brian Fisher next time as we walk together on the journey.